those times out in the field with students are some of like the happiest moments of my life as a professional, partly because it's, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, we're finding really neat stuff. But I think also the process of being there with the students and seeing them experiencing something that brings a lot of joy to my life and seeing them experience similar, you know, happiness, like maybe it's just a really gorgeous day and we have awesome weather and they would, oh, look, we just saw some pronghorn off in the distance and it might be their first time, you know, seeing these amazing animals in the wild while we're sitting there collecting fossils and just all those experiences added up together make it a lot of fun. Welcome to Beyond the Bench, the podcast where we delve into stories of scientists and their work. I'm your host, Madison Sankovitz. I'm an entomology PhD student at University of California, Riverside. And today co-hosting with me is Peggy Brady, who is also a PhD student. She is in the Ecology, Evolution, and Organismal Biology department here at UCR. And today we're really happy to welcome on the podcast, Dr. Andrew Farkey, who is a museum director, recently promoted from Director of Research and Collections at the Raymond M. Alf Museum of Paleontology and also a high school paleontology teacher at the Webb Schools. So welcome, Andy. Thanks. So great to be here with y'all. Yeah, it's really great to have you. I'm super interested in learning more about your job because I really didn't know that there were any high schools that had a museum. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is new to me and I'm so excited for this conversation. But let's go back and start kind of from the beginning in your life. And Mm -hmm. so what got you hooked on paleontology in the first place? And in particular, dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I guess I sort of fit the common paleontology trope or stereotype in that I discovered dinosaurs and loved dinosaurs from a very young age. Uh, So I grew up in rural South Dakota. um, And of course, South Dakota is a state that has lots of dinosaurs. And when we were on a family vacation to the Black Hills, which is out in the uh, western side of of the state, um, there was a place called uh, Dinosaur Park. And it was a bunch of concrete dinosaurs on a hill overlooking Rapid City. And I just thought it was the most amazing thing ever. And so I remember my uh, parents bought uh, us kids a little pack of plastic dinosaurs at the gift shop there. And I thought it was just, you know, so cool. And, you know, spent hours playing with these things and then, you know, discovered, oh, there's books about these animals. And then, oh, there's like some of these animals are from where I'm from. And so I just got to be really interested in that. And then when I was a uh, middle school and junior high and high school student, uh, I started taking advantage of some of the, the fossils in our state. You know, so I reached out to the paleontologists that were in South Dakota or were working in South Dakota and got connected to start doing my own research projects. So specifically focusing on triceratops and learning about its biology and its evolutionary relationships. And then that, uh, sort of launched me into my undergraduate career. I did a a degree in geology at South Dakota School of Mines, which has a fantastic paleontology program. And so as an undergrad, I got to go out in the field very regularly and find fossils all through Western South Dakota with the museum. Um, And then from there, uh, I went on to do my PhD at Stony Brook University in the Department of Anatomical Sciences. And that was sort of an interesting way to come full circle because my PhD co-advisor, one of of them was uh, Dr. 
Dr. Kathy Forster, uh, who I'd actually been in touch with when I was a high school student because she had written some of the, at the time, the definitive work on Triceratops. And so, you know, someone said, oh, you got to talk to Kathy Forster. And, you know, she'll, and so this was, I must have been probably like a, like, you know, maybe a ninth or 10th grader. I, I got in touch with her and she sent me a preprint of her paper um, that was going to completely redefine the way that Triceratops was, was scientifically uh, recognized. And so, you know, here, you know, fast forward, you know, 10 or 15 years and, and then I'm her PhD student and working with her as a, as a, as a student. So that was, that was kind of a neat way to link up, you know, my start in the field with where I went for graduate school. Uh, so yeah, I've worked on in uh, human anatomy, you know, on, uh, taking classes and teaching human anatomy. And then with the human anatomy, working on dinosaur anatomy and anatomy of other horned dinosaurs as a PhD student. And so that's, you know, really what kind of the, the initial arc of my career. So had you always planned to kind of pursue museum work after you completed your PhD? And did you think at the time that you'd be working closely with high school students? Yeah. Oh, that's a fantastic question. So, you know, I never really imagined that I would end up at a museum. Uh, as I was going through graduate school, uh, I had, you know, the idea that I was going to go into, you know, sort of traditional large academia, you know, so I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to teach at a medical school. I'm going to do paleontology research as part of that. And, uh, you know, then I'll, you know, I'll just spend my life as a professor, which I, which I thought was going to be absolutely great. Um, but then in my last year of grad school, I saw an advertisement for a position at a place called the Raymond Elf Museum of Paleontology uh, out in Claremont, California. And, in the advertisement, they talked about how this museum was on a high school campus and, you know, part of, uh, you know, what you'd get to do in the job would be to, you know, of course, you'd be a museum curator, but you would also uh, get to work with high school students. And that really appealed to me. Um, and I suddenly had like, oh, you know, what am I, do I, you know, maybe I could be a museum curator and maybe there's, you know, a, a role for me in this different career path. And so, I was really excited by the idea of working with high school students because I, you know, as a, as a high school student had had the opportunity to do research um, and to interact with scientists. And I had seen then how great paleontology is as a field um, and that it's one of those uh, areas of science where you can get up to the limit of knowledge pretty quickly. Um, you know, if you just pick up a new fossil or you open a new museum drawer, you could discover a species that's never before been identified by scientists. Um, maybe you'll, you know, you'll find something just completely new. So I, I, that aspect of it, being able to make discoveries at a young age uh, really appealed to me. And then the chance that I would be able to get to mentor students, uh, you know, in, that are in some ways at the same age that I was when I started was really exciting. And so, you know, that opportunity, you know, all of a sudden I just kind of, you know, did about a 90 degree turn from what I thought I was going to be doing initially. And so that was, uh, that, you know, that's how I ended up here. I never thought I would be a, in a museum position, um, but, you know, life, uh, you know, took a different turn and I have just been so grateful for the opportunity and, you know, really no regrets about this, you know, slightly alternative uh, way of doing academia. I love how this story has really come full circle in your life. It, it's mm -hmm. so cool to see that connection sort of way back to the beginning. And it's so cool that you're in a position now to mentor and influence other students who are mm -hmm. maybe going into paleontology in their careers. I think that's awesome. So mm -hmm. what have been your favorite parts of working with students in that age range? Like 
how is that on a day-to-day in your job? What what are the joys and the struggles of that? (laughs) Yeah. So it's, you know, I don't know if there's a single favorite part. I just have so many favorite parts. Um, I mean, you know, sort of, sort of the, 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 one answer is to say, you know, I'm, I'm very well matched on maturity, you know, hang out with people that are like the same mental maturity as me. That's, you know, I guess that's, that's one aspect of it. That's why it keeps it fun. Um, you know, high school students really keep me on their toes, uh, on my toes. And, you know, I enjoy that energy. I enjoy that enthusiasm. I enjoy being around people where, you know, so much of your time as a paleontologist is being with other professionals and not that we get jaded necessarily, but you know, it's, it's a little different for me to find a fossil after having, you know, having been finding fossils for, you know, 25, 30 years of my life. And then being able to go out in the field with a student, you know, maybe it's their first time ever seeing a fossil in person or opening up a museum drawer and, you know, handing someone a fossil skull. And that's like the first time they've ever touched a fossil. <laughs> and so that, sort of, uh, you know, energy and enthusiasm and joy of discovery really, you know, keeps me engaged. And I think that's a real fun aspect of it. Um, another thing that is great about uh, working with this age is, you know, they're not coming in necessarily with any preconceived notions. And so in the aspect where I'm mentoring students in research, this has been such a great way to hold me accountable as a scientist, you know, because as an example, we had um, had these fossils that uh, we found on one of our uh, expeditions or collecting expeditions up in Wyoming. And it was uh, from a type of, uh, of it's called a guitar fish. It's sort of like a ray or a skate or one of those, you know, shark cousins. And, you know, these teeth are common in many different Cretaceous deposits, you know, so rocks from around maybe, you know, 85 to 66 million years ago or so. They're, they look, uh, they're very distinctive. They're sort of hexagonal shaped. They're, the, you know, the, these things had hundreds of them in their mouths. So, you know, they, as they spit them out, as the teeth wore out, you know, you just find lots of these in the deposits. And so um, I'd always assumed that the teeth that we were finding were this one type of, uh, of uh, rhinobatoid or, or guitar fish called Mylodaphus bipartitus, because that's like what I had always known them as. It's what it, most of the ones that I'd seen in collections were. And so I, you know, we had some of these teeth in our collection that we found in Wyoming. And so I handed them off to a student's like, hey, can you verify this ID? You know, and I was like, oh yeah, they're going to find out they're Mylodaphus bipartitus and all this. And then, you know, I handed the student a couple of research papers for them to go through and they spent a week or two or three with them and they looked at the teeth. They looked at the teeth again. And then they come back to me and they're like, Dr. Farkey, I don't think these teeth are what you told me they were. Um, and you know, they, and I'm like, Oh, okay. Can you convince me of this? And they start pulling out the papers and, you know, laying thing, teeth side by side with the images. And you know, next thing I know, they convinced me that, Oh, I actually had been completely wrong on what I thought these teeth teeth were. Uh, it turns out it was a different, uh, a different genus and a different species, probably this other animal called Christomylus and another one called Pseudomylodaphus. So that's great in terms of just the, you know, okay, great. We've got a new museum label. We'll have to update the museum labels, uh, you know, that I put in the database, but then, you know, we got to looking at it. It actually turns out to be super important because different species of these guitar fish. So whether it's Pseudomylodaphus or Christomylus or Mylodaphus, they lived at different points in time. So if you find one species, you know, the rocks are one age. If you find another species, the rocks might be a different age. And so the fossils that we were finding actually made me realize that the rocks were probably several, and the fossils were several million years older 
than I had thought initially. And so this completely changed the framework of this project that I've just gotten launched. Uh, and so, you know, that was all because I had a student that didn't come in with, you know, with my uh, preconceptions about what the fossils were going to be. And so things like that, you know, where the students just like, they're not coming in with their, with a particular idea. They look at it, they have fresh eyes. And then I've had more than one instance like this where I just completely, you know, it completely changes what I think about something. And as a result, the science that I'm able to do in collaboration with these students is all the better. So I think that's just one, one single example of, you know, what is so great about having students at that age or really any age as collaborators on a project. So you recently were promoted to museum director at the ALF Museum. Mm -hmm. I was wondering how this position differs from your previous roles that you've had there. Yeah, so I've had, uh, I guess I've been at the museum now for 13 years. Uh, so I came in 2008 and, and it's been a little bit of, you know, sort of added duties through time as I get to know the institution and to get to know the job a little better. Um, so as curator, um, which is how I started out. It was very much, you know, doing research, doing some teaching, and doing, uh, you know, some of the collections work, you know, identifying specimens, painting numbers on fossils, and all that. And then as our staff expanded, as we were able to add a position or two, we added in additional collection staff. So I was able to put some of those duties onto uh, the plates of the collection staff, who were, that's really their specialty and their skill and their forte. Um, so expand the collaboration that way. And then I could focus a little more on the research and the teaching. And then I uh, expanded my role within the, uh, the museum uh, curatorial facet. So, you know, overseeing more staff and, you know, being in charge of certain projects for renovations in the collection space and that. And that's where I've been at up until just this last summer when I made the jump to museum director. And with that, um, I add a lot of duties in terms of, say, uh, you know, more, you know, budgeting for the whole museum, uh, interfacing with our board of trustees, because we're a nonprofit organization, we have a board of trustees. And so I work with the board to set institutional initiatives to, you know, help help them oversee the governance of the museum. So it's a lot more of the administrative stuff, um, which I'm finding is, is interesting, but also, you know, it's really challenging. It's a skill set that I've I guess whether I knew it or not, I was acquiring steadily and being mentored by our previous director. Um, but it is a whole different set of uh, set of skills and, and set of brain cells that I have to use. And so, you know, I'm doing maybe, especially right now, because this is a busy time of year for, for the director, um, you know, I'm not doing quite as much research as I would normally be doing maybe, um, but I'm getting to learn just a whole bunch of different stuff about, you know, it's like, oh, this is the process of an audit and this is the process of filling out this set of paperwork. And this is how you set, you know, a whole institutional budget rather than just a project budget or a, or a departmental budget. And so those, you know, those things have really been something new for me, um, something challenging, but also a good challenge. And I'm really lucky to have, you know, some fantastic colleagues at the museum um, in, in various roles as collaborators and support staff and, you know, some really talented uh, trustees, as well as, you know, some of the financial crew and all that, that have helped me navigate it. So, you know, when I was back when I was a grad student, you know, I don't know if I would have imagined, you know, all the things that I would eventually be doing as part of my role as a scientist. You know, it's certainly not something that most uh, grad programs really worry about other than maybe, oh, you're writing a small grant and here, you know, figure out your budget for your $5,000 for this project or something. And, and so, you know, the, the idea of, you know, managing people and, and, you know, setting 
institution-wide budgets and that that's all been a little new it's been you know honestly it's sometimes a little scary you know because it's like you know there's other people that i you know have to make sure i'm doing the right thing for and you know really wanting to make sure everyone's happy and getting the support they need and and that so it's challenges but it's also it's fun and i think with that comes you know the ability to uh begin to set you know priorities for the museum, you know, continue the programs and the things that work really well and areas maybe where we need to grow a little bit, have the ability to find ways, you know, to make that vision happen. So yeah, it's a new life, um, but it's one that I'm really enjoying. Yeah. I mean, can I just say, I feel like you're, this whole job is so cool. So, I mean, you're, you're able to use and learn these, these administrative skills, which is awesome. But then, you know, you're going out in the field and mm-hmm. uh, whenever you go on trips, like you said, you went on a trip, where is it? To Wyoming? Is that mm-hmm. what you said? Mm-hmm. Are you taking students when you do that? Yeah. Um, so I do take students um, and that's part of a big part of our program is taking students out into the field with us. So we have a summer trip that's usually about two weeks long or so. And so we'll have between 12 and 20 students, depending on the year, depending on the project. And so, you know, they get to go out with us and, you know, they're helping with prospecting or quarrying or whatever task uh, needs to happen. And those are, you know, for me, those are those times out in the field with students are some of like the happiest moments of my life as a professional um, you know, partly because it's, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, we're finding really neat stuff. And, you know, the, just, you know, when I personally find a fossil, like, I mean, yeah, I've done it for many years, but it's still like, sometimes if it's something especially cool, it's just like, oh, this is, this is fun. Uh, but I think also the, the process of, you know, being there with the students and seeing them experiencing something that, you know, that brought, brings a lot of joy to my life and seeing them experience similar, you know, happiness in a, in a particular, like maybe it's just a really gorgeous day and we have awesome, you know, weather and they would, Oh, look, we just saw some pronghorn off in the distance. And it might be their first time, you know, seeing, you know, these amazing animals in the wild while we're sitting there collecting fossils and, and just all those experiences added up together, um, you know, make, make it a lot of fun. And there's, you know, there, there's the um, camaraderie that comes with being on a field crew together. Um, you know, so you get your, you know, kind of your inside jokes and your, uh, you know, your routine of the day and just all the, you know, it's like, you know, if it's a hundred and five degrees and you're miserable, everyone else is miserable too. So you have that, you know, that shared misery or the moments when it's really fun, you know, that shared fun of, you know, when, when someone finds a new site and, and, you know, then all of a sudden you're all down on the ground looking for fossilness and everyone's turning up a new fossil. Um, you know, it's everyone that shared experience, I think is, is something that's really powerful and just a lot of fun. And it's, you know, it's a real, joy of taking anyone into the field, but particularly high school students. Um, You know, and it's not just the science, you know, of course, I mean, we're doing a lot of the scientific stuff, but for many of the students that maybe haven't been up to that part of the country, you know, it's the, it's experiencing maybe a different culture, you know, even though, you know, I mean, yes, we're still within the U S but it's a, you know, for some students, like if you've never been to Wyoming, like it can be, it's a different, you know, a different, world, um, you know, because I grew up in South Dakota, I sometimes find myself being a little bit of a cultural translator, you know, talking about, okay, when we fire fence, this is the etiquette, this is what we need to do, these are the permissions we need, this is why, you know, this is why, you know, if you're from out here, we think you're really weird if you stop and look at cattle, because like, yeah, they're just <laughs> everywhere, you know, so it's like all those, all those cultural translations are a lot of fun, too, and then, of course, we're, you know, it's a beautiful state, so, you know, getting to, you know, take them to places like Yellowstone National Park and others, and so it's just like the whole, the whole experience is a blast. 
Um, mm -hmm. And we find some great fossils. And so the fossils we find come back to the museum and then we get to study them over the course of the next year or two or three. So it's uh, it's just everything rolled up into one package. That's incredible. Uh, I've never personally found a fossil, not that I've really tried to at all, but um, I have this friend who was part of a paleontology lab for a while and uh, she's explained to me the process of going on a dig and what that entails and I before talking to her I don't even think I really realized what a fossil is and the geological processes that are involved in that I was just like oh it's bones in the ground <laughs> but I didn't realize everything you can learn about geology and about animals by finding fossils. And when she told me about that, I remember just being fascinated. I was just super fascinated and obsessed. Like what, like people can just go out and find this stuff. I also had this conception that paleontology is for a very uh, small subset of people who are highly specialized and they're going out and finding like one rare fossil a year or something like that. And I didn't realize that anyone can participate in this and there's fossils all over the place. Yeah. Uh, so that really changed my whole mindset about it. Oh, it is. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's another aspect, you know, what you're talking about, you know, about anyone can participate. Uh, that's part of what makes this job a lot of fun. And I guess that I, maybe one other point I should mention is, you know, you know, some of our students do go on into paleontology occasionally. Some of our students do go into the sciences. Uh, but I think for me as an educator, you know, this, I, I'm just so excited, no matter what my students do for their careers, whether it's in science or engineering, or whether they go into business, or whether they go into public policy, or whatever they do. Because um, I'm just excited that we have, you know, they've had that experience of science, and they've had that experience of seeing what science looks like behind the scenes, and they've been part of it. And so I think, I mean, yeah, it's wonderful if a student decides they want to go into geology or that they want to go into paleontology or something like that. But I think it's even better and in some ways even in, just, just as good, even more important uh, for the students that don't go into those fields. Because I really want there to be people out in the world, in the field of business, in the field of public policy, in, you know, in the humanities, in arts, wherever they end up, that... They're, uh, you know, that they understand what how science is, and that it's not something mysterious that you just open up a textbook and get your answer, but that it's a living, breathing process. And there's people that do it, and really, you know, anyone can participate in it. And so that's that's the other aspect that just gets me so excited about working with students. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good point, honestly. Lots of times people talk about inspiring the next generation of scientists, but I think you're right. It's it's almost more important to inspire those who aren't going to be working as a scientist for their entire career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and speaking of other fields, um, I hear that you have a homebrewing blog. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. so I'm, I'm curious about this. So how did you get into homebrewing and what kind of beer do you make? Yeah. So Homebrewing is like my, it's my full-time hobby in addition to everything else. Uh, but, uh, but it's a, uh, it's a, it's a really fun one. So I actually got into it when I was, uh, when I was much younger uh, with my dad. So my dad's a homebrewer also, and he makes wine. And when we were kids, we'd always get sent out to the shelter belt, which is the, you know, the ring of trees around our farm. That was a windbreak uh, to pick fruit from the ones that had fruit. And then he would make wine. And so later he also got into beer. And so I was always helping him with that process. 
And so then I went off to college and towards the end of grad school, I'm like, oh, let, a couple of friends and I said, oh, why don't we try making beer? And I was like, oh, I can get back to this, you know, which I did years ago with my dad. And so um, then I, you know, fast forward past grad school, I started at my job and I'm like, oh, I, I really enjoy making beer and maybe I'll, you know, take this on a little bit more as a hobby. And so the hobby just kind of built up over time and it's been just a fun way to relax, to disconnect from, you know, my immediate work duties. Um, I found a lot of friends uh, who are homebrewers that are outside of academia and outside of paleontology and outside of, you know, just museum life. So it's a good way to connect, you know, with, with people in other, other walks of life. Um, so I enjoy that social aspect of it. Um, and I also just love the kind of the creative process, uh, which, which, you know, comes with, you know, what, what beer do I want to make and what's it going to turn out like? And, you know, what do I have to do to get from point A to point B? And then there's the scientific geeky side of it too, uh, where it's like, okay, what's, what sort of, what's our water chemistry right now? And let's want to run a water test and see like, what's the carbonate load and what does that mean for my pH and when I'm mashing my grains and all this. So, so it's like, you can go, you don't need to do all that stuff, but you you can also like go way down the rabbit hole of, uh, of, you know, all the, just the biological and chemical side of making beer. And so it, it really kind of brings like all of my, my favorite things together <laughs> of creativity and science and, and, and you know, big, makes it into one, you know, very drinkable package. So, yeah, that, that's kind of my story of how I got into home brewing. but I would say, you know, my favorite kind of beer, I don't know if I have a favorite kind, I guess probably the one that I'm, you know, that's in front of me at the moment. Um, I like to experiment with, uh, with lots of things. I really enjoy, you know, cause I'm at the stage in my life where it's like, I like beer, but I don't like being hungover. And also I like beer and I want to be able to drink beer for the rest of my life and not, you know, not be told by my doctor that I need to stop drinking so much beer. And so I've really gotten into doing lower alcohol beers, uh, session beers and that kind of thing. Uh, so beers that are like, you know, the, in the below four and a half percent alcohol by volume. Um, so those are ones where it's, you know, it's, you can have one or two or three and it's, you know, less calories and less alcohol. And so you, you can enjoy a few without, you know, being not feeling great the next day. Um, so that I've really enjoyed those so like session IPAs. And it turns out that a lot of classic beer styles like Pilsners and, and, and things are in the lower alcohol space already. So that's been, that's probably my favorite kind, uh, but I love experimenting with just about everything. Uh, so that's good. But in addition to home brewing, um, I like to do a lot of other sort of home fermentations. So I make my own sauerkraut, uh, which is a lot of fun. Um, I recently figured out, uh, learned how to make miso paste. Uh, so I could do like homemade miso soup and that kind of thing. Uh, so I just love like all kinds of fermentation. It's just, uh, you know, that it's, it's a blast and it's something that engages a completely different part of my brain. So to kind of bring it back around, what advice do you have for other scientists that might be wanting to go into museum work? Oh, wow. Excellent question. That's a hard one. And <laughs> I've thought about that a lot over the years. And I mean, just like with any career path in the sciences, I don't think there's a single you know, perfect set of advice. Um, I, I would say, you know, the most general thing is, you know, networking is so important, making connections, meeting people, whether that's in person, whether that's um, online through an online presence. Um, I think, you know, that networking aspect and, you know, being, becoming known as a positive person within the community. Uh, the positive doesn't mean that you don't complain ever, don't 
you know, agitate for things as necessary, but by positive, I mean, someone that's going to be, you know, really the kind of, uh, you know, person that's going to move the field in the right kinds of directions and, 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 you know, be someone that's going to be interesting and fun to, to work with. And also, you know, speaking up for the things that need to be spoken up for. So I think those areas of networking are super important. Um, I know it can be easier or harder depending on where you're located geographically or what your, you know, your life circumstances are. Um, but, you know, it's definitely networking, you know, whatever format is, is really key. And I would say also building a broad skill set. Um, and again, that's probably true for just about any career. <laughs> this is very generic career advice. Uh, you know, but I, I uh, you know, my, our previous director, you know, talks about how when he started at the museum, you know, one of the skills that was most important for him was the fact that he had once been an assistant manager at a grocery store, which required lots of organization of people and people's schedules and setting orders and getting things, you know, making things that sure that things were running as they should be and things were on the shelf and all this. And, and you know, those skills then transferred directly over to, you know, running a museum because it's, it's many of the same kinds of organizational tasks and person management skills and, and that, that, uh, you know, that you would do in just about any field that requires that. Uh, and so I think about, you know, the different you know, areas where I've been over the years, whether it's, you know, you know, growing up on a farm and, you know, some of the, the things that we in terms of, you know, how to run this piece of equipment or, you know, what to do in this situation or later on when I was, you know, sort of the, the general assistant at a newspaper and everything from, you know, cleaning toilets to typing copy for, for a newspaper article, you know, all that, the, you know, the team skills that I learned there, um, you know, all those sorts of things certainly used today, you know, even though it's been, you know, many, many years after the fact. So yeah, that, that, uh, you know, there's no useless skills. I mean, I think really thinking about those broadly applied skills, um, you know, that'll serve anyone really well. And I, I would say just the final thing is, you know, thinking about the different kinds of museum work that there are, because there's not a one size fits all museum career. Um, there's some really exciting and interesting uh, professional paths within the museum world, whether that's in, you know, as a research curator, whether that's as someone who's on the education side or the outreach side, or someone that's on the collections management side. Um, those are all, you know, very different kinds of career paths. Um, but I think each of them appeals, you know, to people with different goals and different passions within that. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's really useful uh, for any scientist who wants to go into museum work to cross train. Um, Cause even though I'm a director, you know, there's still times where I'm doing public outreach alongside our outreach staff. There's times when I'm still doing collections management stuff along with our collections managers. And so being able to speak the language and having that experience in the past uh, for me uh, makes it a little easier for me to have those conversations and, and work with everyone. So yeah, that's, it's just all those things rolled into one, you know, there's no, there's, again, there's no like one, you know, like checklist of advice I would give, but those are some of the top things that I can think of and just be flexible. Um, you know, museum jobs are, you know, for better or for worse, they're rare you know, or they're, they're more scarce than, than other kinds of jobs for scientists. And so, you know, just, that's where being flexible comes into play also, because, you know, maybe there's not a museum job that's going to open up right away, uh, if that's really what your goal is. So being able to try different kinds of careers and, you know, maybe you'll find something else, you know, that, that works for you. Like I, like I said, you know, I always thought I was going to be a professor at a medical school. And then all of a sudden, here I am as a museum director um, in a very different place from, you know, where I thought I might be, you know, 20 years ago.
Yeah, honestly, uh, I'd say most of that advice is really applicable across the board for anyone. Uh, I'm in what is hopefully my final year of grad school right now. And so I'm thinking about starting my career and all of this advice is really uh, resonating with me for sure uh, in terms of, yeah, just being flexible and thinking about what experiences have have helped me and my skill set along the way that's not necessarily science. I think uh, even other outside of science experiences or jobs can be some of the most valuable, as you said. Mm-hmm. So I love that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, thank you so much for talking with us today, Andy. It's been so great to hear about your job. And uh, I mean, you said that it's really important to make sure you're a positive person who's who's moving the field in the right way. And it absolutely sounds like you fit the bill with that. Uh, Some days better than others, but I try. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm, uh, it'd be awesome to come see the museum sometime because it sounds like you have a lot of really great stuff going on there. Yeah, thanks. Well, please stop by. We're at, uh, you can learn all about us on our website, alfmuseum.org, A-L-F-M-U-S-E-U-M.org. We got all our social media and stuff there. So, you know, if you're in the Southern California area, you know, we're, we're open to the public and happy to have anyone. And for any, uh, anyone out there that's interested in specimen-based work, you know, we're, uh, you know, we've got a great fossil collection too. So we're always happy to host researchers in addition to uh, people that want to see the public exhibits. So cool. All right. Well, thank you, Andy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Bench, a production from SciComm at UCR. This podcast is supported by Science for Citrus Health and the UC Riverside Graduate Student Association. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at SciComm UCR.